Brandon Steiner, and this is Unplugged with Brandon Steiner. How are you? How I'm you good. Feeling? I'm good. Just been busy. You know, every time. Oh, thank you. Every time somebody gets knocked down, I got more work to do. You, know, so. you look marvelous. You're staying I, healthy. How, how do you do it? Well, I'm still working a lot, which helps. It keeps you from thinking about how old you are. And then uh, there's no stress because it's not like trying to win or lose, you know, trying to win ball games. You know, so. Just find them. Yeah, no, let's just find them. Somebody else's issue. I watch all these managers get upset, and I say, "Boy, am I glad I'm not doing that anymore?" Because <laughs> I'm trying to be the voice of reason, and you know, they're irrational like I was, and uh, it's uh, it's nice seeing it from the other side. How's um, what's how's Safe at Home doing? How's your charity? You've done an amazing job. It's grown. Uh, it just seems like it's now uh, something that's going to be now relevant for many years to come. Well, what's going on there? It's thank you. It's so it's so important. Um, you know, I grew up in a in a uh, an environment. My dad abused my mom, and it affected me. And I didn't realize that that was why I had certain feelings of inadequacy. And uh, you know, it was only through some counseling that I realized that that was causing some of my issues. So uh, we just provide safe rooms in schools for uh, for youngsters uh, to talk about it, let them know it's not their fault and they're not alone and and they can share it and we sort of give them some uh, coping skills and, and stuff like that. So it's, yeah, I'm very proud of it. It's been uh, over 10 years now and um, you know we're here, we're in definitely entrenched in the New York area and uh, we have two schools open in uh, in Los Angeles now. So we're... And your wife's kind of quarterbacking that oh, still? Oh God, she, she's... Uh, I'll tell you, for, you know, that stuff didn't go on in her family. You know, she's one of 16 children, so there was, she had a lot of company over there. Uh, but, yeah, she's, uh, she's just so good at, at uh, just making sure everything's on track. In fact, we have a fundraiser on the um, day after the All-Star game. We have a golf tournament uh, oh, tennis at, at golf? Sleepy Hollow. Tennis and golf at Sleepy Hollow. And... Um, you know, we'll raise some money, hopefully, uh, you know, get us an opportunity to open another school here in the New York area. It's great stuff. And uh, to find out more about it, the, the website JoeTory.org. Joetory.org. That's cool. I got to ask you, just, I, I think we were talking a couple months back, like, what do you do all day at Major League Baseball? What, what's like a typical day? How does that kind of work? Well, there is no typical day. I mean, it's the one thing I found, though, when you're, when you're, uh, you know, when you're managing a team, uh, you know, there's some Thursdays and some Mondays you have off. Uh, but when you're in my job, there are no off days. I mean, weekends are a little quieter because uh, normally you're waiting for it to pile up and then do it on Monday. But it's, there's just a lot of issues. Obviously, the, the umpire, uh, umpires take a lot of time. Um, uh, you know, we're trying to... Uh, improve that relationship with the uniform personnel and the umpires because the, the one thing I found and, and maybe toward the end of my managing career I, I you know you start realizing and, and become a, a little more understanding of the umpires plight you know they uh, they they don't, they don't have a home base they do the best they can uh, they make mistakes and and now with the technology where it is 
There's so many in a hundred well, I mean, times over. I mean, uh, yeah, obviously, you know, people think that uh, that's all they do is, is make mistakes because they they're always, uh, you know, the replay where I, it's it's interesting. I'm, I'm watching this this one game on TV, and there was a play at first base, and the announcer said, "Boy, that was a bang bang play." Now, bang bang play means it was very close, could have gone either way. Well, they show the replay, and they have the slow-mo, and they have the whole thing, and then they realize that the umpire missed the call, and they're saying, how could he miss that call? But meanwhile, they, they called it a bang-bang play before they saw the replay. The umpires don't see that replay until uh, later on when they're uh, laying in bed, you know. But uh, the, the one thing we're trying to improve is have the players uh, understand that uh, they, they try very hard, it kills them when they make a mistake, uh, and yet they have to exercise authority. So it looks like they don't care a lot of times, and uh, or they're they're bullying the the players. They can't change their mind. Right? Well, you know where or, or can they? Well, we we can if there's an obvious miss. We you know we we certainly have changed it to the point of having them huddle and and if some other the uh, one of the other umpires see it a little bit better. You know where the one umpire may be blocked out on a play at first base or something. They, you know, they have the ability to change it. So. Could we see like an NFL kind of thing where, where our manager has a couple of those red flags? Could we maybe see that in the future? Well, you know, that's one of the one of the things we're talking about. We, you know, all in all likelihood, we're hopeful of having uh, a replay next year. Uh, and you know how we're going to trigger it is still in in conversation right now. So, uh, you know, we'll have to figure out. Obviously, if, if our goal is to get every single play right, uh, you may have to time these games with a calendar because yeah, it'd be yeah. a, it would take a long time. Yeah. And I think, I think the one thing that we have to understand is that the game isn't perfect, life isn't perfect. And, you know, as, as long as, and in 162 games, uh, I'm, I'm of a mind that, you know, it's going to balance out. It's somewhat balanced you always, out. You were always cordial. I mean, you were never like a crazy man. Oh, no, early on. That was before video, so it was good. <laughs> Nobody got a chance to see that stuff. You know? Oh, yeah, I did some embarrassing things. I'm embarrassing to me. Maybe not somebody else, but embarrassing to me. Now, well, you know, with age, you know, but as a, man, as a Yankee manager, I always thought you were pretty cool. Calm. Yeah, I was, and, and that used to aggravate Steinbrenner because he wanted you to go out there uh, and scream. Dirt on the <laughs> No question. So. Um, your catching days. Mm -hmm. um, big talker behind the plate, quiet or, or sometimes, sometimes. You know, he'd have a conversation with uh, with some players that come up. Uh, You've seen some of the great ones. Right yeah, now, I, right? I, I did, and, and I just spent a little time uh, last Friday. I was in Los Angeles. I mean, I was in San Francisco watching the Dodgers play the Giants. And uh, you know Willie Mays was was at the ballpark, and Willie is, you know, he's still electric for me. And one of the greatest you've ever seen. <laughs> one of the most exciting I've ever seen. You know, I played with Hank Aaron for eight years, and I, I think Henry could do probably everything that that uh, Willie could do, except he didn't do it with the flair that Willie did it with. And Willie was talking. We were talking about throwing. You know guys out and you know we will learn spring training we teach our outfielders to hit the cutoff man I mean that's hit the cutoff man Willie didn't believe in it he threw it all the way to the catcher or, or the third baseman uh, and he, he did a pretty good job of it 
but he uh, he is so dynamic. Uh, I remember one time though he's hitting, and you always try to distract. You know, I know Yogi used to do it all the time. You know, he had this conversation, and um, and I I was talking to Willie, and I asked him a question. And as he was answering it, he hit a ball out of the ballpark. <laughs> and, and so I, I learned from that, you know, that's one thing. I, I felt I was smart enough to learn from your mistakes, and, and I did that. And I remember Yogi, and I know this is one of the old Yogiisms out there, that uh, one of the catchers said to Yogi, and he was up there hitting, he says, you're, you're hitting... You're, you're, you're hitting with the label up. He says, I'm up here to hit, not to read. So, <laughs> yeah, well, but, uh, you know, I, I did some talk. McCarver, I used to aggravate him. I, I, I didn't mean it at first, and then I did it purposely. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'd talk about the weather, and he said, well, what am I, a meteorologist? You know, he'd step out of the batter's box. He, this is before we became friends. But uh, <laughs> Did you catch Gibson? Or? I did. I, I, what was that like? I caught Gibson. Well, I, I got to tell you that I caught Gibson before I caught Gibson because I, you know, when I was in, in 1965, I was the starting catcher for the All-Star Game in, in Minnesota. <clears throat> and, and Bob was the last pitcher coming in. We had this 5 nothing lead, the, the National League, and then American League caught up, tied it up. We scored, went ahead. Bob Gibson came in to pitch the ninth inning. So... First hitter is Tony Oliva, who won a number of batting titles, left-hand hitter. And most of your left-hand hitters like to hit the ball, the low ball, better than the, the high ball. So it was strike one, strike two. And I, I remember I'm, I'm, I'm debating with myself. Uh, I want a fastball, and I want it up in here. And not to knock anybody down, but there's a sort of a blind spot for some left-handers up that high. And I said, should I just signal it or should I go talk to him? So I decided to go talk to him. Well, you have to understand, I didn't realize it at the time. I, I went out to talk to him. I said, Bob, I said, I want this fastball up and in, not down and in. Well, he looked right through me like I wasn't even there. Never responded to me. Okay? You know, you sort of want... I went back behind the plate, he threw a ball down and in and hit a double left center field, strikes out the next three guys, game is over, just so happens we're the last two in the shower, and I said, nice pitching, Bob, and it was like I wasn't even there, just completely. <laughs> well, I come to find out that he never talked to anybody that wasn't... Uh, on his regular team. In other words, if you were a Cardinal and playing in the All-Star game with him, he would talk to you. But if I had a Brave uniform on, he wouldn't talk to me, unless I was a pitcher. And then he would talk to all the pitchers. So I found that out. And, you know, uh, again, he'll be in for my golf tournament. But I, I'm, I'm still in the process of getting even for, with him being such a jack-off. Jack <laughs> How was, how was Hank to play with? Hank was great. He was quiet. He, he was very quiet, Henry. Uh, never, um, you know, uh, never said much. All he did was speak with his bat, you know. And, uh, and he um, just, uh, he was a great player. I, I've never seen anybody who developed 
when you talk about when, when I first saw Hank and I was a teenager because my brother Frank played uh, with him uh, in from 1956 on and I right, got to the right. big leagues in 1960-61 Henry Aaron hit mainly to right field and right center field as a right-hand hitter and as he gained more and more experience then it you know he he became this home run hitter. He, even though he could hit home runs, he really wasn't this home run hitter because he, he'd hit the ball always to the biggest part of the ballpark. Uh, but, you know, when he took certain liberties, when he got to know pitchers, he was unbelievable. He was a, and try, and I think unbelievable. I think it was Kurt Simmons, uh, a left-hand hitter, said trying to slip a fastball by Hank Aaron was like, uh, you know, getting the sun past the rooster. You couldn't do it. Yeah. And he was, uh, he was quite a player. He was quite a player. Now, Bob Watson, who I had an opportunity to uh, interview uh, a few weeks ago, <coughs> he did a little rivalry dinner uh, with the Dodgers. And he said that, you know, when he was a general manager, it was his idea. He went to George and said, you know, we got to hire Joe Torre. Possible? Uh, that he went to Georgia and yeah. did that? Yeah, yeah, sure it's possible. I mean, I, you know, Bobby and I had a relationship as players. You know, we had mutual respect. We were the same type of hitter. You know, neither one of us could run. Uh, and we, we always had the same philosophy on hitting. So to hit the ball inside out, which means we hit a lot of balls through the middle and, and a lot of line drives. You know, neither one of us were, you know, big home run hitters. But, uh, you know, we were good hitters. And... So we, uh, we always sort of had this common bond when we'd see each other. So. No, I mean, the city was taken by, I mean, shocked. <clears throat> when, 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 you know, you, when your name got called, you were like, what? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, my, my winning percentage was like 100 games under, yeah. you know, 500. You know, I had managed the Mets, and I had... That usually was enough to do it. Yeah. Well, I man <laughs> managed the Braves. At that time, it was. I, I managed the Braves, you know, and we had a couple of winning seasons. Then the Cardinals, we didn't do too well. And, and I don't know, not too many people know this, but initially, before I was asked if I'd be interested in managing the team, uh, I was interviewed to be the general manager. And I, and at the time, my wife was uh, like, at that time, was about seven months pregnant with our daughter. Uh, and, you know, I, I asked, I said, is there any vacation? You know, and he said, no. So I said, I'm sorry, I can't do this. My wife's pregnant. And I, now I, I don't know if I know enough about being a general manager. So I left. I was. I, I uh, actually, no, I, I was, I had just gotten fired by the Cardinals. And I, I was doing some broadcasting for the end of the year, but this was after the season was over. And in, uh, in October or late September, I interviewed with uh, Stick Michael uh, down in Florida. And, and, you know, and then about 10 days later, they called to see if I'd be interested in managing. And I was put on this list with, uh, lucky for me, that these other people had jobs already. So it was good. It was luck, good. Well, luck is always part you, of it, right? You've got to have some luck. And that, sure. Talking about luck, 96. And that, maybe mm -hmm. it's luck, maybe it's not. But I, I just got to find out where you have the, the insight and the nerve. You're down 2-0. And you're like, we're coming back. You know That's I, mean? I told Steinbrenner. Yeah, I mean, where's, where's <coughs> what were you thinking? And did you really believe that? Well, first off, I, uh, I have to admit, I did not even get nervous in that World Series 
until we were going out to play game six, to be honest with you. Really? Because the game six could have gone on. Because this is, I'm, I'm, I'm riding this bonus wave right here. You know, I've, I've got this job that I never thought I'd ever have. Uh, I had never been, I mean, I come to find out later on after we won the World Series that I held the record for the most games in uniform, both as a player and a manager, without ever getting to the World Series. And it was over 4,000 games or some crazy <laughs> thing like that. So, in fact, it felt like 8,000 games. But. So, you know, I was sort of giddy. I had, we got to the World Series. You know, I, did, I wasn't crazy about playing against uh, Baltimore again for the championship series uh, based on the fact that we had beaten them like 11 out of 13 games during the course of the year. It was crazy. We just completely had their number. Yep. And uh, so after we lost game one, we got killed in game one. Pettit, uh, and, uh, you know, and uh, Andrew Jones had two home runs in the game. Uh, they, they beat us big time. George walks in to my office before game two, and he said, this is a must game. And I said, well, yeah, no kidding. Yeah. I mean, it's a seven-game series, you know, and we're down one. But I, I was just goofy enough, and I said, George, I said, we may even lose tonight. And I felt, I didn't feel confident for that night because, you know, we clinched on a, I think it was Sunday. We clinched on a Sunday in Baltimore, and we did not start the World Series till the following Sunday. So we had a week off, which is, was suicide. I mean, because I didn't know what to do. I mean, I just practiced, you know, give them a day off, practice. Didn't want to do simulated games and stuff because somebody's going to get hurt. I know somebody's going to get hurt. So um, we were flat. We were flat. So I said, George, we hadn't played in eight days. I said, and, you know, they're pitching Maddox. I said, we may lose tonight. I said, but we're going to Atlanta. That's my town. We'll win, we'll win three there, <laughs> and we'll come back and win the thing for you on, on Saturday night. And I walked out of the office. That's exactly what happened. But I was just, <laughs> I was, yeah. But I was so giddy at that point in time, uh, yeah, uh, you know, the, the fact that uh, I had been, I'm in the World Series, and I'm in the World Series. In fact, Tom Berducci, you know, we know him now Sports from MLB and Sports Illustrated, great writer, wrote, in fact, wrote two two uh, my books with me, and um, he flew down, he just happened to fly down with George to Atlanta, and George was talking to him about, gee, I hope we win one game so we don't get embarrassed, you know, because that's... You know, we're down two nothing, and you're going to the other guys' the power, the power hometown, the power and the hometown, and they're the world champs and stuff. So, uh, worked out great. It was uh, I'm blessed. I mean, there's no question. I I just was blessed with some great players that didn't know what the word quit meant. You know, and it was uh, it was terrific. Chris, even even in uh, game five, game four, game four. We're down things six nothing. Little, things were going a little wobbly. We're down that game. Yeah, we're down six. The Lariats hit that at home run. Well. Uh, we were losing six nothing, and I remember um, the players come in after the fifth inning. I said, "Guys, just let, let's cut the lead in half. Let's just cut the lead in half." And just it was a good sign for me because we scored three runs, and yeah. 
And the game changed. And then, yeah, it sort of got the momentum on our they side. They were making parade plans. I know I was at a hot dog stand. They were making parade plans, and they were chopping away. And <laughs> I tell you, that stadium was in really that, that stadium needed fifty-five thousand therapists. Yeah. The ninth day. They were they were really messed up. You know, you're up six nothing. You're going to be up three one. You're like, and all of a sudden it's like. And then later it's four. and and uh, two two. You know, Waller's. Uh, it was interesting. He was a little late on the fastball and. For some reason, he thought Jimmy was on the fastball, you know, so he threw him a slider and he hung it and he had a three-run homer yeah. and, and then we, uh, that was, you know. That was it. Yeah. And 97. You know, mm -hmm. you lose against Cleveland. Mariano gives up that home run. He, he's hanging his head. And he tells a story, I mean, when you got together with him and Mel in the offseason, you know, to kind of, you know, basically stake your claim that you're my guy. It, 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 how did you, how did you... How, how did Mariano's, I mean, we talked about his career that he's had, and really I think it's, did it start with that failure maybe? Well, you know, bit? to me, I think there was, there was one thing I was uh, reading um, that, you know, you, know you, can't, you can't succeed unless you fail. Yeah. I mean, and that's, that's part of success is, is being able to pick yourself up and, and move, because and, you learn from failure. Yeah, but the interesting part early, you know, obviously, you know, we had uh, Wetland and Wetland, you know, became a free agent because we knew after what Mariano did out of the bullpen in 96 as a setup man that why not? And, you know, he, he was a little uncomfortable when we started this thing in, in 97. In fact, there was one game at Yankee Stadium where we were, um, we were playing Oakland and it's never a good sign when you bring your closer in and he faces the same guy twice. That is not a good sign. And, and he came in and was hanging his head, you know, and I said, Mo, I said, you may do that a couple more times. I said, but you're still the closer. And, and then, of course, you know, Sandy Alomar's home run in the, uh, in the playoffs uh, in Cleveland, got behind two balls, no strikes, and he in his mind, he said, I'm going to throw a strike, and boom, hit a home run. Well, when we, that was game four, and then game five, uh, you know, we, um, we lost, and I remember Paul O'Neill doubled, and then Bernie made the last out. Yeah. I had to peel Bernie off the steps, because he never wanted to come in the clubhouse after that game. But we flew back to New York, and, and uh, Mel and I both got uh, Mariano on the tarmac under the plane, you know, that night and just said, you know, we never would have gotten there without you to begin with. And then the following spring, which is your, what you're referring to, we sat him on the tarp at Legends Field uh, in Tampa and we just wanted to make sure that there was, you know, that he wasn't going to be defensive all of a sudden because of what happened to him. And he thinks that was like a turning point aha moment for him. Well, because, you know, he had so much respect for you, but he felt like that vote of confidence was sincere. And he said it gave him the, the, the wing underneath, the wind right, it just gave him all the strength he needed. Well, you know, to me, I, I think we, you know, media, is, I think, is responsible more than anybody with this, is the, is the fact that, you know, because players make so much money that there's not blood running through their veins. Yeah. They're sort of robotic. and. Uh, the, the one thing I always felt is that, you know, this game, this, the, the baseball is loaded with negative statistics. 
I mean, you, you're, your best hitters are hit 300, they fail 7 out of 10 times. I mean, you've heard that 100 times, but it's... So, so you really, the reinforcement, any kind of reinforcement, especially when you know that the ability is there, so anything you can do to try to reinforce that, uh, that we're with you. I mean, we, I had uh, Tino, you know, Tino used to be so tough on himself. He'd come in, you know, he'd be struggling, he's 0 for 8, 0 for 9, and, and meanwhile he made three great plays out there diving for balls and scooping balls up. And, He'd be in there like this, you know, and I said, what's the matter? He said, well, I let everybody down. I said, no, Tino, I said, you made great defensive plays, but that wasn't good enough. And I said, let me ask you a question. And I pointed to Jeter over there. I said, let me ask you, if, if Derek went 0 for 13, would you think he was letting you down? You know, and he says, no. I said, well, I said, that's the way they feel about you. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, but you lose sight of that when you're, when you're in that body, because you know, as a player, I always felt that I failed my players if yeah. I didn't, my teammates if I if I wasn't able to knock in a big run or something. One thing about Tina, there's nobody used more bats than Tina. <laughs> I know. I mean, yeah, we're ever happy about that, but <laughs> you know, we're the recipient. Like Tina, did you ever use a bat twice? <laughs> and Posado's another one. Oh God. Um, Posado, yeah. That's, just, just I mean, Posada yeah. hated me the first two years. He hated me because I didn't catch him a lot. And he just had no, well, of course, the first year he wasn't with us anyway. I mean, he came sort of yeah, in September uh, because we had Layritz and Girardi. And, you know, and then the next year we, you know, we brought Georgie along, but I, I wanted to bring him along slowly because Girardi, to me, he was, he was my, my key guy when, we, when, when I came on board. I, if we're going to have good pitching, and I know Mike Stanley is a great hitter. He had 20-something home runs the year before. But if we're going to win... It's going to rely on our pitching, and if you're going to have a good pitcher, you're going to you need good defensive catcher. Yeah. And uh, so Joe was really one of the top priorities when we came here. And not, you know, when you think about both those guys, their level, <clears throat> their competitive spirit, and, mm -hmm. the, and the work ethic on both of them, really, you don't realize with Georgie how you know I didn't realize how competitive he, he just is one serious. Oh, he's so passionate. He's so I mean, passionate, and yet. When the postseason comes or bases are loaded, he is so good under pressure. Yeah. So good under pressure. I mean, he used to have some drag-down fights with, with uh, Duque. I mean, these two guys. <laughs> these guys come to blows almost in the dugout between innings in the games Duque was pitching because they disagree on what should be called. And then I'd see them after the game. They're just about hand-in-hand hand walking to a restaurant. <laughs> but it was, it was never boring, I want to tell you that. And, and, but Georgie, in fact, Georgie, uh, our dinner, our other fundraiser in, in New York here is November 14th, and, and we're honoring uh, oh, Georgie. Really? Yeah, wow. because it's 10 years from the 03 uh, World Series. And uh, we have a special tribute to Aaron Boone. He's going to be there also. Oh, nice, yeah. nice. Are you a preparation guy? You know, it's, you know, you're sitting in the dugouts, you know, like, kind of cool. It's like you could be on the beach. You know, meanwhile, it's like the ninth inning. It's 2-2, two -two, and I'm, like, out of my mind. But are you a preparation guy? Has it been because you thought of all that or because you got Zimmer right there and you feel like between the two of you got it covered? Or? Well, I always look calm. I mean, if you're next to Zimmer, you're going to look calm, too. <laughs> Well, one thing, one thing, I mean, you got to give you a lot of credit for is, I mean, you had an unbelievable managerial staff. You picked well, great Well, I mean, that's, that's what sort of gives you a little security blanket. You, 
uh, I, I know that there are there are managers or people who think that you know manage should, managers shouldn't hire people that may be a threat to them you know that may want to have the ambition of being a manager as far as I'm concerned I'm gonna hire as many of the smartest people I know and you know if if they're gonna take my job it's it's my fault not theirs and uh, so I, I surrounded myself with people that I trusted and I could I because I delegate a lot uh, yeah. the hitters the hitting coach the pitching coach I mean, uh, I relied so much on Mel. He, he was, you know, maybe wonderful. Maybe the best, best pitching coach maybe ever. Well, I mean, I, in my good. lifetime, obviously, in my managing career, he made my career so as far as that, uh, as far as that goes. Because he, he, you know, he, he's the one that, you know, was never really, he's the one that really performed well under pressure. All except the day that uh, Todd, his son, was pitching against us in the postseason. And his his poor wife uh, was sitting up there trying to, and the cameras are in her face. You know, who are you rooting for, your husband or your son? You know, that type of thing. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but Mel really performed well and uh, was, it was tough. It was a tough cookie. 98. Mm -hmm. I mean, unbelievable year. What was going on? Um, and was it, was it just basically put them out on the field because they just knew they were going to win or was it with some things you had to pull together? No, you know, it was interesting because everybody just had a bad taste in their mouth in 97. Because we felt we were better than Cleveland and, and they beat us and these guys came to spring training with, with this, um, just this passion to show people that we were, and show themselves basically, that we were better than that. And we didn't start out very well. I mean, we started on the road. We, were, a, we lost. The West Coast, yeah, we lost four out of five right? games. Yeah, I, yeah, I got plenty of calls that uh, you know I'm being fired and all this stuff. You know, of course, when we came back home, I think it was four and five on the road trip or three and four, whatever. We almost caught up, and George says, "You're my man." I said, "Okay." Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then to turn out, we won 114 games, which was crazy. Crazy. And then, you know, go into the World Series, I mean, the postseason, and we wind up, we won 11 more games, and uh, it, was, it was nuts. The competitive spirit, I mean, anybody stick out? You know, was, was it some unusual competitive spirit at that point, or was it just everyone? You know, when you think of passion, you, you think of Paul O'Neill. Uh, Paul was, uh, I think George named him perfectly when they called him the warrior because yeah. uh, he certainly was that. Uh, I mean, you go back, I think it was the 99 World Series when his dad had passed away. And uh, I remember talking to his wife, Neville, before the game that night and he, she says, you got to find a way to make him play tonight because he was, was really down. Know, he was really down and in fact, when we all gathered at home at, at the mound after we won game four, you know, he was basically, you know, crying in my arms, you know, uh, because he was thinking of his dad. But it was, it was such a, it was such a good group. And you know, when we lost in say in uh, in 2001, and you know, and all of a sudden, that was the end. You know, Tino was gone, O'Neill was gone, you know, Knobloch left, Brocious, re, you know, re basically retired, and. So it was uh, it was a big letdown for yeah. everybody, but you know, and of course Jeter, uh, you know, he was his, his rookie year in '96. Uh, I've never seen a young player just take the team without 
you know, willingly wanting people to have him as the leader, uh, but come August, September, everybody was looking for him to do something, and, and they, he did it most of the time. Regrets. You know, yeah, a million situations, a million... Regrets as far as... Just in-game, things you would have oh. done. Uh, you know, there were a couple. I, I, I think the last game, really the the last, no, not the last game I managed, but the the, the one in Cleveland in, in 07, when we had the bugs on the field. Yeah. I, I kicked myself in the ass for, for not, just not going to the to the umpire and say, I'm taking my team off the field. Uh, that, that, I really, that was a team you probably could have won with. Yeah, yeah, I think so. You were so. really close. I, mean, I think so. It was a good team. But that, you know, that was because uh, Jabba at that time, you know, he was unhittable, but he couldn't, those bugs just, oh, he, 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 he looked in, he says, I can't see, and, and I sent the trainer out. You know, because I figured he can help him. Little did I know that when he was spraying this stuff on him, it was like filet mignon for the for the, <laughs> the, the bugs, and because uh, that that really wasn't a way to approach them. But that, that was the one one regret. The other one was '04, when we had and I, you know, I, I get very nervous uh, losing a game in the postseason because I know how quickly momentum can switch. And so I remember I was, uh, I was with Mel, and I said to him, you know, when we had the one-run lead in the eighth inning in game four, I said, I, I, I want to win this game, and I'm going to go with Mariano. And uh, he says, fine. So because we had the, it was the middle of their batting order coming up in the eighth inning. So we got him out one, two, three. And then uh, the ninth inning, Millar was leading off, and I, oh, I, came, I came this close this close to just telling Mel to tell, just go tell Mo not to get too fancy. And what I mean by fancy, yeah. just not, don't try to be too perfect. You know Mo was just trying to get a walk. Just probably, don't, don't know? try to be, no, he's trying to get a home run. But he, I said, oh, just, you know, I just want him not to be, try to be too perfect. And uh, I didn't do it based on the fact that the last time he had faced him, which was a couple of games ago in, in Yankee Stadium, he struck him out on four pitches or something, you know. So I, 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 I just talked myself out of it. And then I realized that was Yankee Stadium. This was Fenway where you have to be a little more careful because it's a smaller ballpark. You know. But aside from that, you know, in, in, in 04, um, and I, I never did get a World Series ring from the Red Sox, the fact that I helped them win the World Series. In <laughs> But uh, the you know we had a one-run lead in the ninth inning uh, in Game Four, a two-run lead in the eighth inning in Game Five. Uh, we had uh, you know we got beat by an opposite field three-run homer in Game Six. And then Game Seven, forget it. You know how tough no was it to make the decision? You had the, all that dilemma of who to pitch. Well, that wasn't really no dilemma. You mean in Game Seven? Yeah. There was really no dilemma. I had, didn't have many options. I had. Um, Vasquez uh, or Brown, uh, because Duque wasn't available for us, and and I, uh, I I I give Kevin Brown. I know he wasn't very popular here, but I give him credit because I, I right after the game I I got him in the lunchroom, and a lot of the players were in there, and I I just looked him in the eye. I said, 
you got to tell me, you know, and he looked me right in the eye, he said, I want the ball, so I, I just went that way, and, uh, yeah, but again, you know, you lose three games in a row, and you yeah. guys are on your heels a little bit, so it Start was... Start questioning. Uh, well, uh, there's one last thing, on 2001, mm -hmm. World Series, one of the great World Series. Best I've ever, and we lost it, obviously, but... It was the best one uh, because of 9-11. Uh, I mean, the emotion that was involved getting there. Were you thinking about bringing Stanton in? Was that a possibility of me bringing Stanton to... in the eighth inning? Just to face the... Oh, no. You always no. wanted to go with the Mo in court? Yeah, yeah. I get it. Yeah, no. Mo, I mean, Mo, I mean, you look how many times he pitched, you know, two innings. And, and again, it was the same situation yeah. as game four with the Red Sox. They're middle of their batting order, which is... Really, you want your best to face their best. So I, and the interesting part is, it's, what is it, a 1-1 one, one tie or a 2-2 two, two tie? I think it was 1-1, one, one. I'm not even sure. But, I, you know, it's just tie game and, and it's National League rules. So the pitcher's spot is coming up and Zimmer's standing there with me and he says, uh, who are you going to bring in? I said, Mendoza. You know, this game is tied on the road. He says, why not Mo? I said, well, because I need somebody to save it. When we get a lead, I need somebody to save the game. I, I, you know, and, and I said, the only way I can do that, I said, is if Soriano hits it. And as soon as I said it, he hit a ball in the ballpark. <laughs> and I really felt I was blessed because now I have no decisions to make. I bring him in. Yeah. Yeah. But... Thinking back in retrospect, if that didn't happen, that was good advice. I should have brought in Mariano, and, and that home run saved me from probably making a very bad mistake because if, if you bring, and not that I didn't have confidence in Mendoza, but he wasn't better than Mariano, that if you wind up losing the game and your best pitcher never gets a chance to pitch, that was the wrong decision to make. So I never had a chance to screw that one up. Hall of Fame. You know, you're well-respected, I mean, as a player, well-respected as a manager. There's a lot of talk about you getting in the hall soon. What does that mean? And You know, I, I'm, I'm sure if it happens that I'm going to be, you know, I mean, proud as I can be, you know. But it's just really something that I have never spent a lot of time thinking about, only because I, I had no control over it, you know, other than doing the best I can all the time. Uh, and, you know, uh, it's somebody else's decision on what they yeah. think, you know, where I belong. But I, I, I'm sure, as I said, if this happens, that I'll have cotton mouth and all that stuff and, and talking about it. Uh, and I think if, I, I think this year, because they don't vote uh, on on this category, uh, but every two or three years, yeah. and this I think this December, yeah. they vote, and it's going to be interesting. You're going to have Larusa, you have Bobby Cox, and myself. We're all coming uh, up uh, for about December. I mean, I can't, we can't hear Elson. <laughs> it seems like, so it's a good thing. You know what I realized though? You, know, you get spoiled. You know, you win four out of five years, and you mm -hmm. get six out of eight. Six out of eight years, you're in the World Nuts. Series. Nuts, yeah, I know. It's crazy. And you start, you know, you take that for granted, and you realize how hard it is to win. 
And it's not like you won with, you know, was, you, know you won with some, you know, there's some teams you had troubles with, injuries. And you realize now, we all realize, like, it's really hard to win. Well, you know what? We won with people who were pretty likable because they always came home dirty from the ballpark every day. Yeah. Because they worked their tails off. And, uh, and, and my first meeting in 96, my first year, because I had the one thing about being around the game a long time and you watch all sports and you watch all teams celebrate and you're just like watching somebody else eat a hot fudge sundae. You know, it's, it's not a lot of fun. Uh, and, you know, you watch football and the Chicago Bears won and, and then never heard from again or this team wins and then never heard from again. And that always stuck with me, you know. So I, I had said uh, every one of my coaching staff had been to the World Series. All six of them had been in the World Series. Important? And, well, it, it was for me, and I had mentioned that in the meeting, and I said, guys, I don't want to win one World Series. I want to win three in a row. You know, and in 96? In 96, before we started. Wow. And, and it was basically that that thing always stuck with me, that these, instead of celebrating it, let's keep working at it, you know? And, and these guys always did. They, they never had enough of winning it was uh, and and obviously the more you do it the tougher it is to do uh, especially when you're talking about 98 uh, you know winning all those games if, if we don't win the World Series that year nobody remembers you won 114 games right. gotta tell you a quick story when you how spoiled you get in 2001 uh, 2002 we go to spring training and you know, before we start playing the games, and I, uh, you know, I'm uh, giving autographs because people lined up for watching us take batting practice and stuff. So, I, people, I'm signing, signing, signing. This gentleman comes down, and I, I sign for him. He says, "You'll do better this year." Well, <laughs> at that point, I realized getting to Game Seven, the ninth inning with a lead, wasn't good enough. Yeah. So, so that's when I realized we were all spoiled because yeah. of what had taken place previously. I think I, you know, and it's funny when you, you know when you when you finish your career with the Yankees. I, I think you've always had the respect. I mean, this town always really, I could say, truly loved you. But I think the respect and really appreciation for what you accomplished and what you did, the consistency is now more full in bloom than it maybe was five years ago. So, you know, when you when you first left because. You don't realize, you keep thinking, you know, we just keep winning. We're going to keep winning. But then, you know, you realize, like, it takes a special kind of leadership and formula to keep winning. And it doesn't, it's not easy. No, it's, it's yeah. not easy. And, I, and that's the one thing I, well, there are a lot of things I was proud of here. And the fact that we got to the postseason every year, you know, even when we were, had no chance of winning the division, they, they fought like hell to get the post, you know, to postseason at a wild card team. And. Yeah, it's incredible. Uh, it, it, was, uh, it was magical. It really was. And unfortunately, you know, when I left, it was just a matter of I didn't know how to say goodbye, and I don't think the Yankees did either. And it just, yeah, you know, it, yeah. it ended up ugly, but everything's fine now. I mean, I, yeah. they can't keep me out of the clubhouse now. I got my credentials. So I don't know. Matter of fact, we could talk to you all night. I mean, yeah, this is, this is fun. Like being in my living room. Yeah, and when you're, 
what, trust me, when I'm in Cincinnati, my wife's family, this is about our living room. This is uh, people. <laughs> What do we'll we do have? We, I figure we take a few Q&A. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. We'll do, Fire it up. Okay, let's do it. Yep. So I have two questions for you. You caught Spahn. You hit against Colfax, Seaver, and Gibby with your era. Who was the best pitcher you saw? If you could name one, comes top of your head. Well, uh, Colfax and Gibson. Um, I, I mean, Koufax didn't scare me because he's left-handed, but I couldn't hit him. You know, I hit, a, I hit a couple of home runs off him, but it certainly didn't make a difference in the game. Uh, and Koufax, I mean, and, and Gibson was, he just, I, I remember hitting off him with the bases loaded and nobody out in the first inning one day. Uh, and I really didn't strike out a lot, and I, I knew I could hit a sacrifice fly. You know, and he threw three pitches that I swear jumped over my bat, each one of them. I swung and missed at all three of them. Uh, how tough was it working for the boss, Joe? You know, it, you know not, not as tough as uh, a lot of people think, but you have to understand that I got George on the back nine, you know. Uh, you know, Billy, Billy never wanted to be told what to do. I mean, that played right into his wheelhouse, you know, and uh, they would go out of tooth and nail. I always understood that George was the boss, and um, I remember Joe Garagiola told me one time, if you take his money, you have to take his crap. So, uh, so you know, you can't pick and choose, you can't pick and choose the part you want to keep and the part you want to throw away. So I, I really, uh, you know, I mean, not that I didn't have an issue here one time when we agreed to do something with a player and all of a sudden he did something and didn't tell me and that, that aggravated me but aside from that uh, I never had any late-night calls I never had any calls in the dugout uh, in fact I probably called him more than he called me uh, which uh, disarmed disarmed him in a lot of ways you know uh, George what am I doing wrong you know I'd say to him and he they she'll be all right you know <laughs> uh, but there was me one meeting I got to tell you about I was, I was recovering or recuperating from my, really my like cancer what am I surgery. Doing wrong? That's yeah. good. <laughs> I was recovering yeah. from my recuperating, I should say, from my cancer surgery, and, and Zimmer was the interim manager, which probably I should have named somebody else because Zim, Zim and, and George were just too close. And, and, and you know, he took everything so personal. So we lost a terrible game. I mean, it was an ugly game. We, we, we weren't very good. It was, a, I think, it was a day game. And he wants everybody upstairs. I was at the, you know, I didn't know if I was ever going to recover because I'm watching the games with George up in his box, okay? But I knew it was time that when I had enough of that, I had to go back and manage. But he got everybody in his office, and George has this round, it's a, it's a table, really. It's his desk. Everybody mean the team or the manager? Uh, just all the, unif no, not players. Uniform, uh, like you know, bullpen people and, you know, any one of our staff. And so I always positioned myself next to George because I always felt that I could diffuse stuff. And, and I think Zim was here or over here, but he was right in this area. And Mel was over there on the couch because there weren't enough rooms for all the, pe uh, enough chairs around the table for all the people. And the first thing George says, if anybody in here thinks they're doing the best they can, well, you can leave now. 
Well, Zimmer left. <laughs> and George was so pissed off <laughs> that, and I, and I just had to say, George, no, you didn't mean to say what you said because he was doing the best he could. <laughs> you meant to say, there's somebody in there that doesn't think we could do better or something like that. <laughs> but you didn't mean that he still didn't want him to leave. But he went downstairs, his wife thought he was fired already. <laughs> and they went home. They went home. But that, you know, George, so George was tough, uh, and it's interesting, I talked to Mattingly, and he has probably as good a temperament as anybody can have, uh, and he sort of liked it. He, he thought George kept you on edge, which is true. George kept you on edge, you know, even though you won and now you beat the Mets in 2000, which you figured was Nirvana, you know. You, <laughs> But that wasn't good enough. What are we going to do next year? And, but he, and he did keep you on edge. You know, you, uh, you were sort of frustrated because he never said nice going, you know. Uh, but uh, you, I, I, had a, I had a good relationship with him. It was very tough when I said goodbye to him, and he was the first one I said goodbye to. And, you know, I was choked up, and he, he was crying. And, uh, but, you know, it was, I, was, I, I just feel very blessed that I had that opportunity. He gave it to me. Everyone over there? <clears throat> yep. Hi. 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 Um, you clearly spent a lot of time on the field as a player and then also as a manager. I was wondering if there's anybody that you kind of, you were two ships passing where you would have really liked to have had them as a teammate and then conversely as a manager, someone you would have liked to have had in your dugout, someone you would have liked to have managed. Oh, well. Um. You know, the one guy that I always, well, I mean, you, you know, you get some of those guys that you know are real gamers. You want those guys on your team like George Brett and, and those guys. There was one player that I was sort of gaga admiring, and that was Greg Maddox. And I did have an opportunity to manage him the last month of the season in 2008 and we went to the postseason together. And, and he was everything that you hoped he would be. You know, he, he, he wasn't overpowering. Uh, in fact, I think he's up for the Hall of Fame this yeah, year, yeah, too. Yeah. Uh, he wasn't overpowering, but he found a way to beat you. It's like he read your mind, and I said, God, he's smart. And I Higher when I was managing Team USA this past spring, I, I brought him on as my pitching coach, and it was a great experience. I remember we had one situation where Beltran was the hitter for Puerto Rico, and we had first base open, and and uh, uh, my closer, the the kid from um, Atlanta, Kim Kimbrell, Craig, and uh, I said, you want to walk, you know, you want to walk uh, Beltran? He says. He says, yeah, he says, wait a minute. He said, let's try throwing him two high fastballs just to see if he swings at him. I said, go tell him. So he went out to tell Kimbrell. First pitch he threw was high fastball. He popped it up. He said it worked. You know, <laughs> he, he was, he's great. He's great. And that's probably was my number one guy that I, I wanted to be around and I had the opportunity to be around. 
I have a question over there in the back there. You know, don't you think every team in the league should have some kind of old timers day to celebrate their own heritage? Well, then, you know, maybe not play the game like the Yankees do, but should every team have one day where they celebrate their? They they used to, but you know the, the the history is so deep with the Yankees. The Dodgers are, are getting into doing that again. They just they did it in uh, in June. I think it was June eighth. The Dodgers uh, uh, tried to bring bring back some former Yankees because, and and then of course the Dodgers. But yeah, I think it would be good to do that because it, it, to me I, it always helps with the players. You know, when the players get a little taste and have them understand that the game started before they did, uh, you know, I think it's it's a humbling experience and something to to somebody to look up to and and just sort of pick their brain. Uh, you know, the game has changed as we go along, and and by far, the athletes we have playing today are so much better than we were because you know they're in better shape. They're in better shape. You know, we never had any of the conditioning stuff that they have until the middle 70s. And, and they are in better shape. I'm not sure a lot of them uh, understand and are uh, as appreciative, maybe, of the opportunity that they're getting. Uh, because uh, there's a lot of entitlement out there. That they think something they have something coming to them, and it's not only baseball. I mean, I think it's it's just out there, uh, and and that's that's sad. That's sad because that's this true. is something you really have to. And I, I another thing, I, I keep thinking the things I used to tell players in meetings. I said, "You're only borrowing this, guys. You're going to have to give it back someday, because you're only going to be able to do it from here to here." And I said, "And I don't want you to get beyond this, and then sit home and say, God, I wish I'd have worked harder.'" You know. I wish I wish I I could have been a better player. Uh, so you know you just try to remind them of that. But again, uh, I'm talking to them as a 60-something year old at that time, and you know, and I, I know when I, uh, you know, I, when I was 26, 27 years old, I certainly wasn't mature, unfortunately. Uh, but uh, you know, you try to have people benefit from your experience, and, and a lot of them take you know take what you say to heart. Last question there. Yeah, the you from there. Uh, hi, Mr. Torres. Hi. Um, as special as your relationship is with Derek Jeter, um, do you see anybody in the Yankee system that might be like a diamond in the rough you might think could pick up where he leaves off after he retires? And would you ever wear Yankee pinstripes again? Well, I did. I've been old timers. This this year I didn't go because I was. Uh, uh, we were on a college tour with my daughter, so I, I, I didn't, <laughs> that's the only reason I didn't go. But I've been there two years in a row, and uh, you mean as far as... It's not an old-timers game unless you're there. Well, as I said, they invited me. Yeah. Trust me, they invited me. And if it wasn't that something involved my daughter, I, I, I would have been there for old-timers day. You read about that catch you made. My, that was my other daughter. Yeah, my, my older daughter, uh, that was a godsend. She... Yeah, well, that was something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She, she, and she's very shyish, you know. And she's a school teacher. And for for those who doesn't don't know, she was sitting there having some coffee in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn, and somebody said, somebody called nine one one. There's a there's a baby on the fire escape next door, and turns out this say, thirteen fourteen month old boy 
was out there and she called 911 and she was underneath you know talking to uh, 911 and seeing that this, this child was moving around and it, it turns out that the child had gotten out on the fire escape because they had one of those in, in window air conditioners and there was that soft spot on the side where he, I guess he crawled out and um, crazy. oh so he, he you know started falling and he, I think he tried or he held on a little not held on just sort of broke his fall a little bit on a like a metal awning and then she caught him which uh, was incredible really. Huh? She looks just like yeah, yeah, she says, how do you do this? I said, what's that? She says, the people call me about media stuff. How do you do that? <laughs> I said, you're on your own. You're doing great. <laughs>